Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And Father, that's what we do today. Our refuge is you. Lord, you are Lord above all. You are Lord above all lords. You are the God above all gods. There's no one else like you, Lord. And we know that all these gods that uh, people worship, they're just idols. And uh, Father, they're deceptive and they promise, but they don't deliver. And Lord, we thank you that you bring life, you bring joy, you bring peace, you bring hope, you bring gladness of heart. Lord, you don't only give us an abundant life on earth, but Lord, you promise us life forevermore. And so, Lord, we pray today that you will speak into our hearts. And, Lord, I believe that there's many today in our city. There are some even going to gather here today in the Valley of Decision. And I pray today that we will surrender our will to yours, that we will surrender our lives to your purposes and to your will, Father, that we will honor you. And, Lord, where we're conflicted in our emotions, where we're conflicted in our heart, where we're struggling with doing what is right in your eyes, Lord, I pray today that we will surrender our agenda and knowing that what you have in store for us, though it may be difficult in the present, ultimately is the best. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke this morning. And I know that this is Palm Sunday. But today I want to talk about how did Jesus get into a world of difficulty. And we're going to take a look at that. Uh, as we look at a text of scripture speaking about this issue of authority. Now, I know that all of us carry childhood images in our mind, and I can still recall one of the more unforgettable moments in our family's life. And, you know, like all little boys, I don't know, did, how many here you kind of idolized your dad, you know, when you're a little boy? I mean, I did. You know, my dad, you know, he had some really amazing. Uh, qualities about him that were really positive. And I, I remember, too, even his physical physique was very significant. Like, you know, I'm a, I, I think I've lost an inch now. I'm down to five feet, seven inches. I used to be five, eight. My dad was six feet. Yeah, and he weighed between 200 and 250 pounds. And you go, well, he's probably a little overweight. No, he actually owned a moving business, and he moved furniture every day. And this guy's muscle, you know. And I remember going to work when I was 15 with him, and he'd pick up one end of an old upright piano, and two of us would struggle on the other end. So, I mean, he was strong. And he, he was only 20 years older than me, so he was kind of youthful and, and uh, playful, but he was also, he could be very intimidating. I remember years later going to a meeting, and even the other adults were intimidated by him. He's just that kind of a personality. So nobody really wanted to mess with him. And uh, as a little kid, I had a kind of a healthy respect, and I can almost say, at times, a little fear. I had the fear of my earthly father, not just my heavenly father. I can tell you that right now. I did not want to provoke him and get him upset with me, because, you know, there had been a few experiences in his anger, he disciplined me, and I did not want to go through that experience. And I remember one day, while he was resting on a blanket in our front yard under the shade of a large tree, one of my friends from the neighborhood happened to be over. And, you know, Brian's kind of a goof. You know what I mean by goof? Just kind of an easygoing, you know, playful, but not always using his head kind of personality. And, and he was a couple years older than me. And so he was spitting cherry pits out of his mouth and being quite careless about it. And my dad now, laying down, had warned him to, you know, step away when he's going to spit. Like, in other words, don't hit him with a cherry pit, right? 
He had been warned. And I'm thinking, Brian, move away from my dad. Don't. I could see, you know, that he was not going to put up with nonsense. And so he just kept horsing around. My dad warned him a couple of times. And then the inevitable happened. One of the pits hit my dad. Kind of like a Mount St. Helen eruption happened there. It was an explosion of action. I mean, I couldn't believe it. Brian, who was about 13 at the time, must have figured he could run faster than my father and be able to move to some place of safety. The only problem was he had underestimated how much adrenaline was pumping into that giant lying below him. And with that explosion, they were off. Brian was moving at a speed I had never seen previous from him. He was moving across the street. He ran around our neighbor's yard. I could hear him going up the stairs in the backyard. I could hear thump, 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 thump going up the stairs to get away. And I could hear another set of steps catching him. And then I heard some size 11 shoe hit him. And I wasn't there to see it, but I could hear it. And we heard the incident when uh, there was a report back that, uh, you know, Brian had experienced a little bit of pain at that moment. And so he told his mom and dad. And, of course, in those days, there was no litigation. And there was no, you know, neighbors got into a fight. They just asked what he had done. He explained the situation. They said, good, you deserved it. And, uh, and then from that point on, you know, my... Brian would come over, and he'd always, from that moment on, it was always Mr. Valley. <laughs> it was a new level of respect. And eventually, my, uh, Brian did work for my dad in the moving business, too. But, you know, how many know that when you, when you live in the shadow of that, uh, you're thinking to yourself, uh, well, let me put it to this way. If I didn't want to do something that I knew wasn't quite right, and I knew that, you know, my, my neighbor friends would say, you know, they, you know how, you, how kids kind of coach each other and doing the wrong thing? How many know kids do that? And all I would say to them is, listen, if my dad ever found out about it, and then they would say, well, he'll never know. And I said, but if he ever found out, and they said, okay, we'll drop the idea. Because they all knew that that was not going to be a good experience, and it got me out of a lot of trouble. You know, you could, I could always blame it on, well, if my dad finds out, this is not going to go good for me, and it's not going to go good for you, and they said, yeah, we appreciate that, we're not going to do it. You know, now, I, I don't want to paint a picture of my dad was a meanie, because, you know, he'd come home from working all day, and then he'd play baseball with all the kids in the neighborhood, so, you know, that was pretty good. We all had a lot of fun with him, he's a good guy, we loved it, and he had their respect. Now, I know one thing that as I got older, and I think we have this funny idea when we're, especially when we're young people. When I grow up, I'm going to do anything I want to do. How many know it doesn't quite work that way? Because <clears throat> you grow up and then you take on responsibilities and pretty soon you're not doing what you want to do. Anybody figured that out yet? And how many have discovered that if you actually always do what you want to do, eventually that gets into, there's certain consequences that come with that. And there are consequences to each and every one of our actions. I didn't need my dad's disapproval or his ability to discipline me to keep me from certain activities. God is the ultimate authority. How many know that's true? And rather people believe in God or not, there are, you know, we know that this is true. There are sowing and reaping principles in life. And you start to discover them. Now, 
you know, I've preached before, does that always work out? Well, no, sometimes they're delayed, and sometimes it doesn't work exactly the way we think it should. But I do know one thing, that there's justice in this world, and it may not happen in this life, but I can tell you, at the end of the day, when we all stand before God, justice is going to be totally rendered. And we know that that's true. Now, I think we're living in a world today that wants to throw off all the shackles of moral restraint. That's the culture we're living in today. And Jesus is the ultimate authority. And for those who want to be captains of their own destiny, there abounds many shipwrecked lives around us of stark reminders of such folly. Have you seen that? How many can just kind of look around? And you know, this really becomes evident to you the older you get. A lot of people, when they're younger, they're, you know, they're almost defying you know, life itself. You know, they're just doing stuff and they're getting away with it. But you know, over time, when you live long enough, you start to see the decisions that people make and where that eventually leads their lives. You know, I remember a number of years ago, we had a guy in our church family and, uh, you know, he, to he came to me one day and said, I want to tell you a little bit about my story. You need to know about it because what I, I, I've actually been to jail. I killed somebody. Now, that's not a very proud thing, right? And so he began to explain what his growing up was like and uh, how he came to Christ in prison and how his life was transformed. But he said, you really want to hear my story. I'm going to be speaking at Notre Dame. I'm going to bring my... You know, he had been, he's now on parole for the rest of his life. He can only go 50 miles without telling his parole office where he is. He has to report in every so often. Uh, I mean, he killed somebody. This is a big deal, folks. And so I went to Notre Dame to hear him tell the story. And he told the kids there, he said, you know, I used to run around. You know, I was not a nice person. You know, I was into drugs. I was into alcohol. I would, we would seduce young women. We'd act really nice and then get them alone and rape them. And I mean, he did some brutal stuff. And he said, you know, eventually what happened is one day, he said, I got so intoxicated, I don't even remember what I was doing. But we were robbing someone, and this, we were in this house, and it was a house of an old woman, and he says, I don't even remember killing her. Now, how many, how many say that's pretty sad? But he said, basically, I sowed the seeds for that kind of destructive behavior growing up. I sowed those seeds until finally this was the outcome of it. Got caught, got sentenced, got life imprisonment. Eventually got paroled for the rest of my life. Now, thankfully, the grace of God entered his heart. And, you know, if you met this person, he doesn't attend our church right now. That's why I'm pulling the store. I can get away with it, right? He's been gone for a long time. Most of you don't even know who I'm talking about. That may be shocking to you. How many are a little stunned right now? And I'm, I'm just pointing some things out. You know, a lot of people think, no big deal how we behave. And I'm going, yes, it is a big deal. There is an ultimate authority. And though we may get away with what people, you know, zero in on, that may not be true as far as God is concerned. We're living in a time where relativity is a predominant value in our culture today. And what do I mean by this? Well, Reginald Bibby is a uh, sociologist. He actually teaches at the University of Lethbridge. This is what he's written in his book, Mosaic Madness. He says, relativism is the inclination to see the merits of behavior and ideas not as universal or absolute, but as varying with individuals and their environments, and in the end as being equally valid because they are chosen. Now, that's a nice way of basically, you know, saying what? 
In other words, there's no rights and wrongs, only what's right for you and what's right for me. That's the culture in which we're living in, and it's becoming more evident all the time. We're moving into this moral darkness. I don't know if you guys see it. See, you know, we're kind of insulated a little bit in a Christian community, but the more you spend time around people that do not think with a Christian value system, and the more that the non-Christian value system impacts us, the more you're going to understand and see this. And we're seeing it happening all the time. You know, increasingly, Bibi goes on to say, we have come to regard truth as a matter of personal preference. The only truth is that everything is relative. Cultural relativism is accepted as a given. Those who dare to assert that they have the truth are labeled bigots. Hmm. Truth has been replaced by personal viewpoint. You need to understand that. That's where people are coming from today. That's how they think. And so people like us that believe that there's truth, we, we're, we're from the dinosaur age. We're from another time warp. We're from another planet as far as people are concerned. We're not in touch with what's really going on. Uh, but really what the underlying issue is, this is where I'm going this morning. Why is it like this? Why do people think this way? Because... The underlying issue is one of authority. Who's in charge here? Who has the final say in my life? And does it really matter? You know, many of our, in our society have declared personal independence. I'll do whatever I want to do. Thank you very much. We're living in the echoes of Pilate's word. You know, the Roman governor who interrogated Jesus nearly 2,000 years ago when he said, what is truth? And this is what Jesus said. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Now, already the fact that Jesus says there is truth suggests there's an absolute. And he says, whoever listens to me is on the side of truth. Why can he say that? Because Jesus is truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. And when you and I surrender to Christ's words, we experience truth. Jesus says, and the truth shall what? It'll set you free. And so many people in our culture today are living in captivity. They're not free at all. They think they are. Their thinking is, I've, I've never been more free in my life. I can do anything I want to. And I'm going, no, you can't. You can only do with your personal passions and sinful appetites are dragging you. You are developing an addictive behavioral pattern that eventually keeps you captive. You're not doing what you want to do. You're doing what sin is dictating for you to do with your life. And the only one that can set you free is Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've hit a new place of in intolerance towards a lot of what we think is going to help people today. You know, I wasn't going to say this. This is not in my notes. But I have an interesting assignment for my course on the book of Hebrews. I need to go inside of two bookstores and look at all the books written on angels, spirit guides, and all that stuff. You know, I was in the bookstore the other day. There are 400 books on the occult practice in the city of Red Deer at our major bookstore. 400 books written primarily by people with PhDs in counseling, in psychology, 
teaching people how to get in touch with the dark side. So if you and I are intimidated by our culture, I'm going to just give you a freeing note today. I don't care what kind of a degree they got. They are blinded and deceived. And you and I need to stand up and say, that stuff is a pure garbage. Leading people into amazing darkness and into amazing bondage. Under the guise of education. That's strong language, Pastor. I'm going, you better believe it is. And I make no apology for it. I, you know, I do believe in counseling. I do believe, you know, in psychology, but I don't believe in that kind of stuff. But, you know, under the guise of credibility, this kind of stuff is floating in big time in our culture today. You know, most conflicts originate over the issue of power or control. Do you realize that? I can, I can, I can zero in. Every conflict, marriage conflict, kids and parent conflict, Management conflict, church conflict, all conflict. It's over who's in authority, who's in charge here, who's right, how are we going to do this? It all comes down to that. In other words, we pick up this confrontation about Jesus. Uh, let me keep moving here. I'm going backwards. In my notes here. Sorry, guys. I think there is a time when we must be willing to submit to a higher authority. We must be willing to submit to a gracious God who is the true and the ultimate authority. You know, let's pick up the story in Luke chapter 20 and verse 1. One day as he was teaching the people in the temple courts and preaching the gospel, the chief priests... And the teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him and they said, tell us by what authority you're doing these things. That's the key phrase. In other words, by what authority? Like, who do you think you are, Jesus? That's what they're saying. What authority? You know, who, what, what do you think you're doing here? You know, who gave you this authority? Obviously, it wasn't... You know, the people uh, it, that were in charge of authority, they didn't give them that authority. And so you're saying, doing what things? Well, the previous chapter, what was Jesus doing? Well, he was cleaning out the temple, you know, throwing tables around. And, you know, that kind of freaked a few people out. Uh, and uh, so who does Jesus think he is? And it's this rebellion against divine authority that created the context for Jesus' crucifixion. How many know that's true? This is, this is where the real issue is. It was a battle over who's going to control the heart and mind and the will of the nation, the people. It came down to that. So the leaders are asking the question, who gave him the authority? And so I think we can learn two things about authority from Jesus' response to his adversaries. Okay, look at verse... You know, in other words, Jesus is going to answer this question by asking a question, but in reality, he's telling them that he has divine authority. And that's why he's doing what he's doing. Look at verse 3. He, said, I'm, he, says, he replied, I'm going to also ask you guys a question. Tell me, John's baptism. Was it from heaven or was it from men? In other words, is this divine authority or is it human authority? 
And the Bible says they discussed it among themselves and said, if we say it's divine authority, if we say it's from heaven, he's going to say, why didn't you believe John? Now, that's an important point because John is, is saying what about Jesus? He's saying this is the Messiah. See, John's testimony about Jesus Christ is he has, he's got divine authority. But if we say from men, all the people will stone us. <laughs> Well, Jesus is pretty smart, isn't he? He already knows that these guys got to be very careful what they're going to say because he knew that the people saw John as a prophet because they were persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, we don't know where it's from. In other words, we're not going to answer this question. And Jesus said, well, if you're going to play that game, I'm not going to answer your question. But in a sense, Jesus is actually giving them the answer, right? Jesus is telling them, I have divine authority. You guys just won't own up to it. You won't admit it. Jesus was challenging their authority. Isn't that true? Now, you can say, well, yeah, but they were given authority by God. Yeah, that's true. They were given authority by God. But we only have authority by God when we obey God. And the moment we stop obeying God, we lose our authority. We can't, we can't, you know, be put in a position like we did today. We installed leaders in the, in the church, but the leader only has authority if they remain under authority. But the moment they disobey God and start doing their own thing, they actually nullify their position of authority. That's why Peter could say to the religious leaders, we ought to obey God rather than men. They told them, don't preach the gospel anymore. They said, hey, we have a mandate from God to preach the gospel. We don't have a choice. The fact that you guys don't want us to do it means zero to us because we are under divine authority. This is God's authority. You know, so Jesus is challenging their authority. He's upsetting the status quo. A formal religious system had promised a lot, but it was exploiting people. It was keeping them from seeing the true nature of God. Isn't that sad? You know, we have to watch what we're doing too. You know, sometimes we can be, I'm a Christian, but if my life is out of whack, what am I doing? I'm keeping people from seeing the true nature of God. Isn't that true? How many goes, that's a problem. I'm discrediting God. These religious leaders were discrediting God. That's why God was challenging them with their, with their uh, life you know, it happens easily. Uh, you know, what I mean by religion is a system that endeavors to please God apart from accepting the work of Christ on the cross and embracing his grace to work in and through our lives. That's what I mean by religion. You know, I know we have to define it because, you know, if you read the old Christians, religion was a positive thing. They meant it as being the work of God. But we all know, know it's a negative. People see religion as a negative thing. I don't necessarily see religion as a negative thing. I see people misunderstanding the true nature of true religion. See, James says, true religion is what? To keep oneself unspotted from this world and to be concerned about the orphans and widows. In other words, to care for the people that cannot care for themselves. God says, listen, we cannot exploit people. And what were these religious leaders doing in Jesus' day? Exploiting people. And that's why Jesus was so angry with them. And you know, it's very upsetting, and I believe it upsets God, when he watches people in positions of authority using their position of authority to exploit people. 
That's the thing that angers God more than anything else. It's distressing. You know? Can we do that sometimes? Can I do that as a parent, use my position of authority to exploit my child? Of course I could. We all can. We have to watch that. Can I use my position as a boss to exploit the people who work underneath me? Can that happen? Sure it can. You bet. You know what? Over the years, I've heard terrible stories of spiritual leaders who abuse, or, or sorry, stories of spiritual abuse by spouses. Can I give you some examples of that? You know, the husband says to his wife, you know, you need to submit to me. And has that mentality that I'm an authority here and you got to just do what I say. How many know that's not healthy? Here's the other side of it. I, I even things out real fast. You know, there are some women who think they're super spiritual and think their husbands are not spiritual. And they're walking around not allowing him to be who he is. And just because he doesn't pray 24-7 does not mean he's not spiritual. Come on now. You know, I, I think a lot of women have unrealistic expectations of their husbands. And that's why there's a lot of marriage problems. And it's the other way as well, you know. I won't even go into it. There's just, <laughs> I hear all kinds of stuff. You have no idea. I can't even go down these tracks, right? I've heard stories of spiritual leaders who abuse the people that they're supposed to be serving, right? Have you heard that? Sure, we all have. How about this one? Then there are stories uh, of people who are leading a congregation who are abused by the people they're leading. It goes that way too. Isn't that, how many say this is all tragic? Because really what God is interested in is that we learn to love each other and that no matter what position we have, we learn to serve each other and show respect toward each other and honor each other and help each other. Wouldn't that be an awesome world if we stopped playing all these mind games and just said, you know, listen, you know, just because I'm a pastor, means, it means it, it's great that I have this beautiful job of trying to care for the people of God. And yes, I do have authority. But that authority should never be misused. It should be an authority that frees me to serve. That's what leadership is all about. You know, I remember years ago, our board one time said to me, what's the advantage in being in our fellowship of Christian assemblies? You know, I gave them an answer. The opportunity to serve other people. That ended the conversation. Don't you think that's the right answer? That we've got to stop thinking, what am I getting out of this? And start saying, what can I give to this? And the moment you change that paradigm in your mind, everything changes about your life. You see, when you come to church, I have people, there's people sitting here going, what am I going to get out of this? And then there's people that come and say, what can I give to this? And the moment you shift your thinking, it changes your whole life. The moment I come to a job and say, not what can I get out of it, what can I bring to this? What can I give to this? You've changed the paradigm completely. As Christians, I believe we need to change the paradigm of our minds. We need to change how we're thinking. We need to come into things saying, it's not what I get out of it, it's what I'm allowed to give to it. It's what I'm going to bring to it. It's what I'm going to leave in it. It's what I'm going to serve. It's what I'm going to leave as a legacy to it. Not my agenda, my, my will, my desires, because this is where all the conflict is coming from. Jesus came to set the record straight. 
challenging these terrible attitudes, especially of people who were abusing and exploiting other people. You know, you can't read Matthew 23 where Jesus is reaming out the Pharisees and he's going, you guys are just a pile of hypocrites. You know, you're playing a game on the outside, but on the inside, you're messed up. You know, you got wrong understanding of purity and what's clean and unclean. He goes on and on. He says, you've totally misunderstood what God intended. Wouldn't that be a tragedy to stand before Almighty God one day and go, wow, I never understood what was really going down. That would be a tragic thing, wouldn't it? I think it would be sad. It would be awful. You know, Jesus came to set us free to enjoy God. I want to ask a question today. Do you really enjoy God? Just enjoy Him. You know, I enjoy people. I enjoy my granddaughter. I'm, I'm enjoying that makes sense? I enjoy reading God's word. I enjoy worship. I enjoy God. Enjoy God. That's what Jesus, it's not walking in fear and trepidation. Oh, I'm afraid I'm going to mess up somehow. No, it's about learning to enjoy God. He came to release us so that we can develop an intimate relationship with him. Jesus came in order to establish this relationship where we could learn to trust him and get to know him. And so Jesus answers their question by asking that question. And so he says, you know, the question, where does John the Baptist get his authority from? You know, and the religious leaders correctly assessed their position. They did not want to acknowledge John, for in so doing, they would have to acknowledge Jesus and his authority. They didn't want to do that. So they said, well, we don't know. And Jesus says, well, neither will, he says, neither am I going to tell you. I don't feel like, I don't feel I need to give an answer to you. By saying that, he was basically saying, you're not really in authority. You're under God's authority, just like I am. You know what's really sad? We can be so stubborn and think that we're right. You know, it reminds me of the story of this guy who was on a collision course. He was a captain on the bridge of a large naval vessel who saw a light ahead in a fog and realized that they were on this collision course. He had his guy signal to the other, you know, what was the light and saying to them, hey, tell them to alter their course 10 degrees south. And the reply came back, you need to alter your degrees 10 degrees north. And the captain on this warship was so livid, he said, listen, we're a warship, we're a battleship. You better alter your course. And the reply came back, no, you better alter your course. We're a lighthouse. And folks, I have a funny feeling that sometimes we act like we're battleships headed for the lighthouse, you know? We're in trouble, and we don't even know it. We just think we're in the right. And I think it's, it would be a lot wiser on our part to say, God, I want to walk in humility. And that's one of my prayers every day. God, help me to walk in humility. Help me to walk in openness. Help me, to, help me to be a, lear, a learner, a lifelong learner. Help me to, to not think I have all the answers. You know, help me to listen to no matter whom you bring my, across my path, be it a believer or a non-believer, a child or somebody with a PhD. It doesn't matter to me. You can speak through anybody. I want to hear your voice. You know, the religious leaders were headed for destruction and Jesus was trying to warn them. So he, you know what he does? He tells them a parable. You know, parables are designed to make us reconsider some things. And so 
he, he, he moves on here. There's a, you know, the, the second point, really, the second thing we can learn about Jesus' authority is that some people reject it to their own peril. Some people allow their ship to go right on into the, into the shoals of destruction. They don't listen. They just do their own thing, and it's to their own self, you know, demise. And making the point is Jesus now is going to expose the true condition of their hearts, and he, and he tells a story. In verse 9, he goes on, he went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard. He rented it to some farmers and went away for a long time. And at harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they'd give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that also they beat and treated shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I'll know, I'll send my son whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And so they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. And then what then, what then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? It says, he will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyards to others. And when the people heard this, they said, may this never be. Now, you and I hear the story and we go, I don't quite get what's going on here. But I'm going to fill you in. These people had a knowledge of Scripture. And what Jesus is doing is telling a story from Scripture. And I'll show it to you in a moment. Jesus looked directly at him and asked, Then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. And the teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately. This was what triggered Jesus' death. Because what is Jesus saying to them? He's using an imagery filled with meaning to his audience. You know, sometimes in the 21st century, we, we hear these stories. We go, I don't get this. Why did they get so upset with Jesus? Well, to a Jewish audience, they knew the vineyard was their own nation. They knew that because they knew the word of God. They knew that the owner was God. And Jesus... And this is amazing to me. Jesus knew by telling the story and telling it this way that he was basically saying, you're going to kill me. He knew it. He knew their response. He knew they were going to reject him. He knew they were going to kill him. Jesus is saying, I have every right and authority to cleanse the temple. My authority is from the Father. You are the tenants answerable to my father. And Jesus points out that the owner was looking for results from his vineyard, which the tenants had rejected. His messengers were the Old Testament prophets who had kept coming. Can you imagine, when I think about this, when I think about the graciousness of God, do you realize that God sent messengers throughout the entire history of Israel and the story of the entire history of Israel is rejecting God's word throughout its history. How many go, that's sad. That is really tragic. Do you know, Jerusalem has been destroyed twice. Do you know the temple has been destroyed twice? Do you know God has exiled these people because they refused to listen to his words and they were God's people? Jesus is stating that this authority 
of the religious leadership as delegated authority from God, but they had abused and they usurped that authority by rejecting God. You know, whenever we reject God's rightful place in our life, we assume the place of authority. Now, I'm going to say something today that, you know, I'm not trying to make us feel bad, but I'm trying to give us a sense of how significant this is. Do you realize that every time you and I have a collision with the will of God? Now, don't tell me we never have this. You, you, you know, you and I will never have a conflict with another person as long as they agree with us. <laughs> Come on. Amen. So that's the truth, Pastor. The only time there's a problem is if you disagree with me. Right? I'm right and you're wrong. Isn't that how we think? Come on now. Come on. Let's take ownership, guys. And you know, we can get along with God. Oh, I so love God. But you know what happens every once in a while? And there comes a moment in our life where we realize we want something that God doesn't want us to have. Then there's a little problem. You see, we have a little wrestling match called the Garden of Gethsemane in our soul. We have to decide if we're going to do it God's way or our way. And we'll do all this mental gymnastics and move a bunch of scriptures to justify our decision to do our will and say, you know, it's okay. Now, I want you to know Jesus struggled with the will of God. He's in a garden. He knows he's got to die. What does he say? Not my will, but thy will be done. I'm going to make a thought. Here's the thought. Every time I do things my way instead of God's way, what am I doing? I'm crucifying Christ. I'm rejecting his authority in my life. And I'm as guilty of crucifying Christ as if I was one of those religious leaders saying no to Jesus. I'm just as guilty as an ancient Israelite who says, I'm going to do my own thing. And God says, eventually, you know, I'm just going to put you into exile. We don't want to hear this, Pastor. This is not a nice sermon. I thought you were a nice pastor. I thought you were going to encourage us. You're, you're making us feel bad today. No, I'm just giving us the truth. And I'm unvarnishing it. And I'm saying we struggle with God's authority in our life. And the only time we know it is when, it's in when we conflict with what we want and what God wants. Otherwise, I'm happy to serve God until I get to that moment. Then the wrestling match starts. And then I have to decide who's going to win. And can I tell you, you have to make a decision then. And many times, God's way is the way that's less pleasant to us. And it's the harder road. And it's the right road. And in the long run, you'll be happy you took that road. Because the easy road is my way, which usually leads to a lot of pain, suffering, and sorrow, both for me and for others. True? Yeah, it is true. You know, let me just read here in closing. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. I'm quoting Isaiah. He dug it up and cleared it of stone and planted it with the chosen vines. He built a watchtower in it. He cut out a wine press as well. And when he had looked for a crop of good grapes, it had yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, they did, they, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do with my vineyard. I'm going to take away its hedge, which protects it, and, I will, and it will be destroyed, and I will break down its walls, and it will be trampled. 
Isaiah's warning the nation. God's going to destroy it. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated. Briars and thorns will grow there, and I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are the garden of his delight. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. What is Isaiah saying? He said, listen, God created this nation. This is what he anticipated. He's not getting what he desires. Can I just say something? God is a fruit inspector. getting quiet in here. John 15. Read it. God is looking at my life. God is looking at your life. Does God have the authority to say, I expect good fruit from you? Can God say, I'm disgusted at what you're producing. I'm going to deal with you. Does he have that right? He sure does. Look at what he says. Woe to those who rise in the morning to run after their drinks. They stay up at night until they're inflamed with wine. They have harps and lyres at their banquets, tambourines and flutes and wine, but they have no regard for the deeds of the Lord, no respect for the work of his hands. Now he's, now he's actually pointing out these guys had no concern about the right thing. They had no respect for God. It says, therefore, my people will go into exile for lack of understanding. Folks, we're living in a time of amazing lack of understanding. You know, I listen to some of the stuff that's being preached today, and it grieves me. There's a lot of people with a lot of nonsense that they're saying, promoting it in the name of Christ. And I'm going to tell you something. It's just pure deception. You go, how do you know? Just listen to it. And what am I saying to us today? We better know God's word. We better yield our lives to God's will. We better surrender to his purposes. Otherwise, we may find ourselves on the wrong side of the equation. You know, sometimes we think, well, I'm a Christian. I'm going, good. These were Jews. They were God's people. And they didn't do the right thing. And so what am I saying to us today? I'm saying it's an awesome thing. Yes, God loves us. Yes, Christ died for us. Yes, he gave us eternal life. Yes, he's brought us into the household of faith. Yes, he's blessed with every spiritual blessing in, in heavenly places. But if you and I, you know, do our own thing and we reject his authority in our lives and go off and do our thing and pretend that God is, you know, well, God's still blessing me. I'm still a child of God, but I'm out here doing, you know, these kinds of things, you know exploiting, abusing, manipulating other people. Guess what? God's going to look down from heaven and say, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. And I'll deal with it. And Peter says, if judgment begins at the household of God, what's going to happen to the rest of the people on the planet? If we can barely take God's scrutiny, what do you think is going to happen to the rest of the people who say, you know, right today is wrong and wrong today is right. I mean, people are confusing things. Let me just close with this text. So man, so man will be brought low and mankind will be humble and the eyes of the arrogant will be humbled. But the Lord Almighty will be exalted by his justice and the Holy One will show himself holy by his righteousness. Woe to those who draw sin along with cords of deceit and wickedness with, as with cart ropes. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. See, there you go. Confusion. Are we living in that moment? Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. I'm just putting down inverting God's value system. Are we living in a time like that? Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and champions at mixing drinks. 
who acquit the guilty for a bribe but deny justice to the innocent. Rejection of God as the ultimate authority leads to our own demise. And it doesn't matter who you are. God is no respecter of person. I could have served God all of my life as a pastor, done good things for over 30 years, and do something absolutely stupid, and God's going to deal with me. Come on now. Doesn't, <laughs> isn't that true? Read the Bible. Understand it. It's the grace of God. Let's stand this morning. What am I saying to us today? I could preach a sermon and we could talk about how bad the Pharisees are. We could really lambaste them. The only problem is sometimes we're them. True? See, the Bible's designed to be a mirror. It's designed to make us look at it. It's designed to say, you know what? Take a hard look at what you're doing. Don't make any excuses for ourselves. We cannot do that before God. Don't do that. It's not going to help you. You just got to take a look at the hard, cold facts and go, okay, how am I treating Patty? How am I treating Andrea and Rachel and Ari, Curtis? These are my family members. How am I treating you as the congregants? That's what God's looking at. How am I treating my neighbors? How am I treating the person that serves me at the table? How, how am I treating the person that I buy groceries from? God's looking at all this, folks. You know, when people come to me and ask for help, what am I like? God says, I'm watching you. Right? The choices you make, God's watching. Why did you make that choice? Why are you doing that? God's examining every heart. And I'm just saying this to us today. You know, we can make the Bible a 2,000-year-old book, and we can talk about Palm Sunday, and we can talk about Easter, and we can jump and all the rest of it. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't change me, it's not going to do me any good. It doesn't change you and me. We're in trouble, guys. So with every head bowed here today, the Spirit of God just sweeping over this congregation. He's speaking into hearts. And some of you right, right now are in the valley of decision. And you're wrestling with the decision. The temptation is to justify a decision so that this is the thing I want to do. But what does God want you to do? And if there's a wrestling match going on in your soul, I know the right thing, I know the wrong thing. You're like Jesus in Gethsemane, wrestling. And it's an issue of authority, believe you me. And if you do your thing, what you're saying is, God, you're not the authority in my life. I am. And that is the sin that the culture we're living in is living out. It's rebellion against God. It's rejecting the ultimate authority. It's not just doing our own thing. It's doing His will. Some of you are struggling. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. There's been moments in my life, I've, and it's humor sometimes what I struggle with. But there's been moments, and I've had to get down and say, okay, God, this is what I want. This is what you want. I'm not happy with what you're giving me. I'm being honest. See, I want to be candid with God. He goes, I know you're not happy with that, but that's the right thing to do. Okay, God, I will do it. Help me to do it with gladness. 
straighten me out, God. I need help. I want to do your will. Anyone here today say, Pastor, I need God's help to do God's will with gladness. Anyone here? Just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. To do God's will with gladness. It's not just doing God's will. Hey, I can do that. But with gladness? Oh, I need help big time. I know the right thing to do. I could do the right thing. But how many know that's just an outward conformity? But inside my heart, I'm going, but I'm not happy about it. I'm not happy with doing your will, God. No, I want to do it with gladness, God. I want to serve you with glad heart. Lord, I just pray today. You're speaking to hearts. You're showing us. It comes down to you're the authority or I'm the authority. It comes down to your will or my will. And Lord, I want to do your will. But I want to do it with gladness. I want to do it with joy. I want to do it with delight, Father. Lord, even though it may be a difficult thing to do, Lord, because your word teaches me a powerful truth that for the joy that was set before you, Jesus, you endured the cross. Lord, there's a cross that you're calling us to. And may we do it with, because of the joy that is set before us. The joy of knowing that we're pleasing you. The joy of knowing that we're going to stand before you and hear those beautiful words, well done, my son, my daughter. Lord, to know we're going to be in eternity with you and know that we've done the right thing, even though at times tears trickle down our cheeks. We did the right thing. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.